You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 695 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening for your Monday morning commute, and I will be uh, talking about everything that transpired over the weekend for the Hawks. Uh, my apologies for the lack of a podcast after the game on Friday, but with the way that actually went down, people were seemingly okay with the uh, lack of a recap podcast. We'll break down both games, both Friday and Sunday, and the losses that transpired for the Hawks on this podcast. Before we get to those, though, a couple of newsy items to report on since the last time we talked on the podcast, um, both in the form of trade rumblings. Um, Sam Emick of The Athletic reported on Friday morning that a source, quote, downplayed, end quote, the chances of an Andre Drummond to the Hawks trade. And a second source told Amick that the Hawks, quote, could have landed Drummond already if they were unwilling to uh, include a first-round pick in the deal, end quote. That is, for me, good news because, as I said before on the, on the Mailbag podcast I did last week, I would not trade a first-round pick for Andre Drummond. I think that's a pretty reasonable sort of dividing line in talks. I do understand Hawks fans that want Drummond, because he would make them better, obviously, but uh, that's kind of where I would draw the line. If you want more on that, go back and listen to that podcast that I did that went up on Friday morning. Also, Ian Begley, who used to be uh, at ESPN, now now SNY, reported on Friday night that, quote, teams in touch with Atlanta recently came away with the impression the Hawks had more interest in Steven Adams than Andre Drummond, end quote. That was a little bit of a surprise, but also not a shock. We, We discussed Adams a couple times on the podcast and the interest that the Hawks could have in him. I would assume that OKC, though, the price could be a little bit higher than we thought it was going to be because the Thunder uh, seem to be on track to make the playoffs. They've been actually good this year, and Adams um, is still a good player. Obviously, OKC isn't going to win a championship or anything like, anything like that this year, though, so if they want to go ahead and sell high-ish on Stephen Adams, that wouldn't blow me away. But normally teams that are trying to make the playoffs um, in the moment or already in the playoffs at the moment are not going to sell off a you know one of their top three or four players in the middle of the season, so we'll keep an eye on that. But I thought that was at least an eyebrow raiser from Ian Begley. Uh, last thing here on the trade front, though, before we get to the games themselves, uh, Sam Amick also reported that the Hawks are among the teams with interest in Dwayne Dedman. That is not a huge surprise either. We've heard a little bit of that rumbling already since Dedman's uh, public trade request or demand or whatever you want to put that. Um, but the piece that Amick wrote also indicated that the Kings' current asking price is too high for Atlanta's liking. I am a big Deadman advocate. I will say, though, that he was bad, and he's been bad since he was in Sacramento. It's a very small sample size, but he was truly bad with the Kings so far. Um, the Kings should be trading an asset along with him, though. Um, if I'm the Hawks, I'm not taking Deadman without getting an asset, at least a, at least a small asset in return, um, to go ahead and take that on. It's not a disastrous contract, in my opinion, because of the non-guaranteed in the last year that Deadman has, but it, he was pretty bad early, and the Hawks have um, the leverage in that spot because the Kings obviously want him out of there. He wants to be out of there, and everybody knows it, so not a whole lot of uh, I guess leverage on the part of the Kings and that could lead to a bad trade if you are uh, coming from that end. Okay, with the news out of the way, we'll get to the Wizards game that's happened on Friday night and uh, I did t- I did share some numbers on the Mailbag podcast last week, but the Hawks coming in to this game, we're actually playing some of their best basketball game of best basketball of the year, I should say. Despite a two and three record in the previous five games, Atlanta was playing pretty well. Uh, you know, sort of hanging around against very good basketball teams and even stealing a couple of wins. So no reason to think that it would sort of be a, a um, 
a problematic area for the Hawks over the weekend, but uh, it did not start well. It did not end well for the Hawks, and uh, there you go from that. The Hawks did keep their small lineup to start after doing that a couple times previously with John Collins at center, and the Wizards didn't really have anybody to bludgeon it on the interior. Um, but the Hawks actually cut, cut a break before tip-off even started with uh, Bradley Beal missing the game for Washington. They did have, they did have Davis Bertans back, which definitely helped the Wizards in this spot. But the Hawks were actually favored at tip-off only the third time this season the Hawks have been favored. And uh, as you probably know by this point in time, the Hawks losing that game um, and the way they did was kind of frustrating and pretty maddening. And definitely some fans were upset by that. Uh, quickly here, the first half did not go particularly well. Um, the Hawks did not attempt a uh, free throw in the first quarter. They shot one of nine from three in the first quarter. They missed a bunch of free throws in the first half as well, missing eight alone in the second quarter of the game. And uh, in the first half, the Hawks lost a turnover, turnover battle as well with 11 turnovers. They played a, they played about a 10-man rotation in the first half with uh, Damian Jones not playing. It was Alex Lynn with 12 minutes um, in reserves. But they trailed by as many as 15 points before halftime. Finished, did finish strong low on an 11-3 run before the half to cut, to cut it down to five. The Hawks got bludgeon on the offensive glass though they were down 24 sorry 21 to 4 in second chance points by halftime that is pretty ugly in a lot of ways that was a theme throughout the game there were a couple of bright spots in the first half I thought Cam Reddish was actually good for the Hawks Kevin Herter was pretty good in his own right but it was not great from Trey Young or John Collins on Friday night um, particularly in the first half and I thought Hunter was largely a, a non-factor for Atlanta as well. Trey did have 13 points in the first half, but really a time um, offensively, was, you know, he was sort of his best in this spot. He was not, he was not great, I will say. Um, and it was a rare time, as you, as I said a second ago, uh, where they actually had more success with him off the court than with him on the court throughout the game on uh, Friday night, which is a little bit surprising. I also thought that they didn't play through Collins enough throughout the game, really, on offense. He probably could have used him a little bit more in a pretty advantageous situation against the Wizards, but that was a mistake, I think, and uh, it kind of bit, bit them at times. The Hawks did go down um, five going into the halftime break, but we're still pretty, in pretty good shape. And after the halftime, um, they actually took the lead briefly early on on a three-point play by, by, by DeAndre Hunter. Herter got a couple of fouls in the first four minutes of the second half, and that last one was his fourth. Uh, he actually played well, as, as, I said, as I said before, in the first half, but was a little bit shaky after that. I, you know, I'm not sure if it was foul trouble or what, what happened, but he had to sit a lot for the fouls and then did not play as well. After that, um, Trey struggled even more um, after halftime. I would I would say they did they did play through Collins a little bit more in the in the third quarter. That was actually pretty effective, but it was uh it was waning at times. And some pretty decent stuff from uh, DeAndre Bembry I thought in the third quarter, but he had a bad misstep late in the quarter, helping off of Davis Bertans on a three that gave Washington the lead back. Uh, and then Alan Crabb got a charge with five seconds to go in the third quarter. It was a pretty bizarre situation where Lloyd Pierce challenged, and I'm not really sure why he did that. Um, even if it was the correct challenge, and by the way, Pierce lost that challenge. It was a very low low upside decision for Lloyd to challenge a charge call late in the half when the Wizards probably wouldn't have had a great chance to score. No free throws, and you burn your only challenge on a low-leverage play. Um, for good measure, they also lost it, but it would, it would even kind of been bad even, even if they won it. So that was a weird one, I will say. Fortunately, the Wizards didn't score after it, but they were still down by two. The Hawks were going into the fourth quarter. The third quarter was very, very back and forth in general. I say that often on the podcast, but it was kind of crazy. Neither team led by more than five points in the third quarter, so it was, it was a true back and forth. But the Hawks did play well in the third quarter. It was probably their best of the night, um, holding the Wizards to 9 of 25 shooting, and that was pretty good in general. John Collins did, did play well uh, defensively throughout. He actually, he actually had four blocks in his first 22 minutes. Got the fourth there early in, his, in the fourth quarter. That was his career high, and he tied it in a pretty big hurry. The Hawks did have a nice start to the fourth quarter, probably the best single stretch of the game on a 10-2 run 
to open the fourth quarter, go up by six. That was their largest lead of the game at 89-83. Um, that, again, one more time, the largest lead of the game at 89-83. Um, but then from there, it was kind of strange and back and forth. Trey Young sat for a very long time. Um, they went back to the bench at the four-minute mark of the second quarter, um, sorry, of the third quarter with Trey. He sat until about, about seven and a half minutes to go in the game. That was a nine-minute stretch where Trey Young was sitting, which just never happens, basically, in a competitive game. The Hawks were holding their own without him, which is certainly worth pointing out. And Goodwin actually stayed on the court. Actually, uh, Brandon Goodwin was on the court as the shooting guard once Trey Young came back in. But the Hawks sort of did pretty well during that stretch, and I wanted to circle it because you never see Trey sit for that long, and it was probably that a, a move that actually worked out in some respects for Atlanta. But after the Hawks went up by the score of 893 uh, with that 10-2 run at the start of the fourth quarter, it was a 14, sorry, 15-4 run by the Wizards, including a run of nine straight points by Washington. The Hawks didn't score for about two and a half minutes, um, and that was uh, pretty brutal. The Haw- Actually, John Collins ended up sitting for part of that time. He ended up sitting at, at about, about the 5.15 mark of the fourth quarter, and he actually sat for a long time, um, about four minutes or so. Lloyd Pierce was asked post-game why he sat for that long, and he said, actually, that John Collins, quote, played to, exha- played to exhaustion, end quote. That was an eyebrow raiser in some respects, but he, did, he actually did, he had a pretty hard fall right on his tailbone where he actually had the contusion um, previously, so that could have been part of it, although Lloyd did downplay that, and I wanted to at least seek it out because it was a four-minute stretch where you're playing without Collins, and that was a, a big swing in some respects. Um, also, then Kevin Herter fouled out with about three and a half minutes to go, so the Hawks are, you know, pretty pretty short-handed already in that spot. They did break the drought finally with a Trey Young layup to get back within four, but then the Wizards kind of pushed the game out of reach in a hurry there with a three. A couple of uh, fouls back-to-back, a bad shot from Trey Young uh, down down seven with about nine seconds to go, a quick three that was not a good look. They got a stop, but then Goodwin misses a three to basically end the game, and then Bertans hits a three to absolutely end the game, putting the Hawks down by 10, and that was kind of it for that. The Hawks were four of 16 from the floor in the last six minutes. It was a 21-8 run by the Wizards to end the game, and uh, pretty brutal uh, just overall there, and obviously a pretty frustrating way to end a Friday night for all parties involved. Um, the Hawks lost the math battle really the entire game. Um, you know, not often is it this easy to see, but it really was very easy to see why the Hawks lost this game. Uh, there were obviously some individual portion, uh, individual performances that were not great either, but the Hawks could not get a defensive rebound in this game. They allowed 19 offensive rebounds for 29 second-chance points for Washington. The Hawks had 18 turnovers that led to 25 points for the Wizards, and the Hawks only created nine turnovers. So those two things created so many extra possessions for the Wizards that kind of explains what happened. Honestly, the Hawks were fortunate. The Wizards missed missed 11 free throws. That actually let the Hawks kind of hang around to some respect, but they took more than the Hawks did, and the Hawks missed 12 on their own. So that was another spot where the Hawks lost the math battle, and then both teams took 29 threes, which is a decent amount, but the Hawks made three less than the Wizards. So all the way up and down, you can see kind of what happened there. And then uh, the offensive rating for the entire game was 93 or so for the Hawks. That's pretty brutal in itself, particularly against the worst defense in the league. The Wizards have an, have an historically bad defense. They are really bad defensively and to not be able to score with Trey Young available, as we'll talk about later on. The, the Sunday game is a little bit more explainable without Trey. But in that game, the Hawks had you know almost their full complement of guys, um, Sands, Jamari Parker, and Bruno Fernando, and you go in there against the worst defense in the league and you just can't score. That's kind of inexplicable and pretty ugly in a lot of respects. Uh, individually, we'll go through quickly here about what happened on Friday before we get into Sunday's game. A um, couple of bright spots, I thought, off the bench, Alex Lynn and Brandon Goodwin both played very well. Lynn had 10 points and 14 rebounds in 25 minutes. Goodwin had 14 points off the bench, and he he was actually plus one in this spot. The rest of the bench, though, was non-existent. Vince Carter, nine, nine, po- sorry, nine minutes, zero points. Alan Crabb, 15 minutes, zero points. Um, those two guys did not do really anything of a positive note in this spot. Bembry had a couple of nice moments, but uh, also was his, his typical self, some highs and some lows. Five points, five rebounds for Bembry, but a couple of bad moments as well. 
The starters, um, more of a mixed bag, I will say. All, all five guys scored nine points or more. Cam Reddish had nine points and eight rebounds. Um, I thought he was actually pretty good. He was efficient. He was four bay from the floor in this game. And defensively, he was one of the bright spots for Atlanta with two block shots and they also had three assists. So I thought Cam was, it was definitely better than average Cam Reddish. He actually led the team in minutes with 35 on Friday night. Uh, the front court, a little bit more mixed. John Collins was pretty good here. 15 points, 15 rebounds, and four block shots. I wish they had played through him more often, as I said before, offensively. That would have been big for Atlanta, but when he had the ball, he was effective. DeAndre Hunter, um, a little bit less loud in his production, was 13 points, five rebounds, two assists, and two steals. He was just okay. I didn't think he was fantastic, but he was at least efficient offensively. And Kevin Herter, I thought, was pretty good. 16 points in his uh, limited time with the foul trouble. In the second half, though, he was notably worse. But in the first half, he was probably the best player for the Hawks um, before halftime. Trey Young, one of his worst games of the season, I have to say. 19 points, 7 assists. Didn't have 6 turnovers, but 720 from the floor, 0 of 7 from 3. Missed 3 free throws as well, which is uncharacteristic of Trey. So just not a good night at all for Trey Young. Uh, I guess if you want to be kind defensively, it wasn't quite as bad as it's been at times. Um, but still, I, I don't think that Trey played well. and That was not a big secret in this game. In fact, the Hawks were not, this is a very, very rare time when the Hawks were much worse with him on the court. They were minus 19 in Trey's 31 minutes, and they were actually plus 9 without him. That almost never happens, and that kind of uh, looks to underscore kind of how things went in this game. So, you know, go, before we get into Sunday stuff in a second, I did just want to say that it was not a great performance on Friday, and the Hawks had a good chance to win this game in the fourth quarter, six-point lead on the road against a team that they're probably as good as, um, especially without Bradley Beal, if not better than, and they just didn't play well. And the Wizards out-executed him in the fourth quarter, and there you go, and that's the end of that one. Uh, before we get to the game on Sunday, here's a quick... Talk from our folks at Echelon who sponsored the podcast today. And to get fit in 2020, you don't have to go to a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for, for everyone from busy moms and dads to first responders and elite athletes, whatever your activity level, Echelon has something for you. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their X1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at-home cycling experience at less than half of the price of a Peloton. You'll love Echelon if, because if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll actually get your money back from them. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A to learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. Go to echelon, that's E-C-H-E-L-O-N, fit.com slash L-O-N-B-A, echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. All right, we can sort of pivot, I would say, to the Sunday game and a pretty interesting one in some respects, and also a pretty ugly one in others. The Hawks entered this game as nine and a half point underdogs because that was they were actually without Trey Young in this spot. The Hawks added Alex Lynn, DeAndre Hunter, and Trey Young to the injury report in advance of the game on Sunday. Lynn actually was probable originally and ended up playing in this game. Hunter was questionable with foot pain. He ended up playing in this game as well, but Trey Young was added with hamstring pain uh, as questionable originally, but then actually ruled out and the line went from seven and a half to nine and a half. In particular, um, it was a weird spot because Kyrie Irving came back for the Nets for the first time since mid-November. So suddenly the Nets have their had their best player and the Hawks do not. And that swings things originally and then it actually got worse from there for Atlanta. Uh, one thing to note here, Lloyd Pierce did tell Sarah Spencer of the AJC that Young's hamstring was sore when the Hawks practiced in DC after the game on Sun uh, on sorry, after Friday's game on Saturday they had a practice in DC before flying 
to New York, and it was still sore when they got to New York. So that I guess I, that probably led to what happened here. And obviously with Trey Young and a hamstring, you have to be pretty careful with anything weird there. So no reason to push him if there was an issue happening. And that leads to Brandon Goodwin's first career start. So shouts to Brandon Goodwin, local product. He actually played pretty decently in this game, but he was one of the only guys that actually did for Atlanta. And there you go on that. Um, to the game itself, it got ugly in a hurry, and that really never stopped being ugly. Uh, aside from the great uniform matchup, by the way, this is a good uh, a good looking sort of confluence of events. I'm sure people hated it in some respects because of the weird court in Brooklyn, but I, I, li I like the court at Barclays Center, so there you go on that. Um, but the Nets go up by a 10-2 to 2 margin in the early going before Goodwin finally sort of breaks the, breaks the drought with a 3. The Nets opened 7-9 from the floor, and it got worse from there. A 17-3 run momentarily after that to have the Nets go up by a 32-12 margin. Down 20, sort of in the blink of an eye, and it never got better. It was an absolutely horrid shot. So, um, sorry, horrid start from the Hawks and a really nice dunk, though. Other than, that, other than the, the really nice up by Cam Reddish in transition, which I'm sure you guys yeah, probably saw by now, it was the best highlight of the game for the Hawks. But other than that, it was uh, not a lot of positivity in the first quarter with the Nets shooting 70% from the floor and 5 of 9 from 3. The Hawks shot 6 of 24 from the floor and 1 of 13 from 3 in the first quarter. And that kind of tells the story of the entire game, frankly, because once from that point forward, it wasn't too, too bad for the Hawks. But the first quarter, you just can't get bludgeoned like that. And uh, that's how you lose the game in the way that the Hawks did, because you can't go down 37-16 after 12 minutes of play. A couple of odd lineup choices that I wanted to point out in the first half. Um, there was kind of a short roster, obviously, without Trey Young available, but a pretty quick hook from Alex Lynn. I'm not really sure why that happened. They went with uh, Goodwin and Jones, Damian Jones playing together a couple different times, which I don't really, I'm not sure if that was intentional or what, but that was something, something I definitely noticed throughout the game. They also put in uh, Paul Watson on a 10-day contract pretty early in this game. Obviously, the Hawks were down, were down big at this point, but um, definitely not shy about some interesting lineup stuff along the way. The Hawks trailed by as many as 24 points um, early in the second quarter before a nice breakout stretch by Cam Reddish. He actually uh, engineered a 9-0 run by himself for the Hawks coming out of a timeout. He hit a three, and then he found uh, Kevin Hurt. Uh, sorry, yeah, he found Kevin Herter on a kickout pass for another three, and then after a steal by Reddish himself, he had another three. So it was definitely a nice flourish from Cam. He had four steals in the first half, and that um, that actually set a new career high for Cam. Had another stretch later on in the quarter where he had back-to-back -back jumpers. He was four or five from three at one point, and had 16 points. Um, in the game, in his first 13 minutes of play, he had 14 in the second quarter. Cam wasn't great in the first, and it wasn't great after that, but the second quarter was really nice, and that was good to see him uh, put together that kind of offensive stretch to provide some optimism for the future because there wasn't too much positively uh, going on otherwise in this spot. A 10-4 to run by the Nets to end the half, and suddenly the Hawks are down by 24 again. It was probably over at that point in time, um, but uh, if it wasn't, it was over in a hurry to start the second half because the Nets open up on a 15-2 run, and suddenly the Hawks go from down 24 to down 37, and at down 37, the game's just absolutely sort of academic. Um, the Hawks missed their first nine shots, including seven threes, after halftime, and if it wasn't already over, it was over there, so there you go. Uh, went down as many as 39 in the third quarter. The Hawks did make it, I mean, at least they made it look a little bit more respectable after that, but uh, it was basically just garbage time for the last quarter and a half. There was a Charlie Brown appearance. He played with, he played for the first time since mid-November and uh, made a quick three. And at one point in time, people noticed this, and I think Chris Kirscher tweeted out as well, but the Hawks were using a lineup of DeAndre Bembry at point guard, Charlie Brown, Alan Crabb, <laughs> Watson, and Damian Jones. Um, that that five-man group is about as bad as it gets in the NBA, frankly, with all due respect to those guys. Pretty pretty rough, and uh, there you go. Even if they had some success, actually, with that group, because they actually did. Um, part of that was was a nice stretch by, by Bembry in the second half, where he had eight points in about a two-and-a-half-minute stretch. Um, a 14-3 to run, actually, between Bembry and Charlie Brown to end the third quarter. But uh, alas, it never got, never got within 20 in the fourth. 
And for me, the headliner of the fourth quarter was Justin Anderson checking in for the Nets because I'm uh, an unabashed supporter of Justin. Other than that, it was basically uh, not too much talking about in the fourth quarter. Uh, it was cool, though, I will say. Vince Carter got some star treatment from the Brooklyn crowd in his last game in Brooklyn. Some you know, big pop cheers for Vince. It's always kind of, you know, it's kind of old hat right now because every, everywhere Vince goes at the moment, he's getting that kind of treatment, but it was actually more pronounced than normal in this game. And Vince had a couple of nice moments against the Nets. But other than that, yeah, there you go on that. Uh, big picture numbers for the game are really, really ugly, particularly on the offensive end of the floor. The Hawks posted an offensive rating of 79.7. That is impossibly bad. You know, if coming into the game, we all know we've been over this numerous times about how bad the offense has been without Trey on the court, but this is even worse than you expect. Um, you know, sub 80 offensive rating is tough to do over a full NBA game, and there you go. Um, defensively, the numbers are actually not as bad as you would think. Um, part of that was the Nets only scoring 38 points after halftime, and they definitely were not giving that, giving it their all offensively after halftime when the game was wrapped up. But um, you know, a, a 100 defensive rating looks pretty good, but that's misleading. The first half was really rough, and in fact, I, I think the uh, first half numbers are almost more indicative. The Hawks allowed a 130 defensive rating before halftime, and uh, that probably speaks to a more accurate figure. The, the next section missed eight free throws before the half, or it was actually going to be even worse than that. They just couldn't make a free throw, but other than that, there wasn't too, too much going on in a positive direction. Um, in, I would say individually, there are a couple of bright spots. I thought Bembry was pretty good off the bench um, in 22 minutes. Had a couple of maddening moments, as he often does, but 12 points, four steals, three assists, three rebounds, a couple of positive things there from DeAndre. A lot of that was in garbage time, but I thought he actually played decently well. Um, other than that off the bench, Alex Lynn was pretty decent, 10 points, four rebounds. Didn't play as much as you would think, as I said before. That kind of aligned Jones with Goodwin for reasons. I'm not really sure why that happened, but alas. Um, the Hawks did actually basically play, they actually did play everyone that was available because of the garbage time situation. Um, they played 12 guys. Um, yeah, that's not a big surprise given Trey Young's absence. They were actually short short enough to where they had um, only 12 active players when, when you're actually allowed to have 13. But there you go. Um, Charlie Brown didn't do a whole lot, but was actually plus 16, which is kind of funny to see in the, in the box score. He was just on the court for the Hawks' big run, uh, had six points, made, made a couple of jump shots. He was He's, not, he's definitely not shy about, shy about shooting. That's something that Charlie definitely brings to the table. Alan Crabb did not score. He was very quiet in mostly a bad way, I would say. Vince Carter, as I said before, had some nice moments, eight points. They have three steals, two rebounds for Vince. They made two of five from three. Um, I don't think he played all that well, frankly, but a couple of at least memorable times that you could see that um, you know manifesting on the court. Damian Jones, four points, five rebounds. I thought he was pretty bad. Um, Damian is, has trouble defensively, for sure, and that's, not, that's nothing new, but you know the fact that he was plus three is a little bit misleading. I thought Damian did not add too, too much, and he was just on the court for the big run in the second half. It didn't really matter. And then Paul Watson, 0 for 6 from the floor. That's kind of tough for the 10-day for the contract guy. Did have three assists, made some things happen, just didn't make shots. Uh, to the starters, the only guy that I would say was an unequivocal positive in this game was Cam Reddish, uh, and really a lot of that came in the second quarter, as I said before. In the second quarter, Reddish was 4 of 7 from the floor for 14 points. The rest of the game, he was 2 of 9 for 6 points, so it was basically pronounced to that one area, but, you know, that five minute, that five, six, seven minute stretch by Reddish in the second quarter is what you want to hold on to if you're a Hawks fan offensively. Defensively, it's kind of always been there this year. He had five steals in this game. That's career high for Cam. And I think, as I said a million times, defensively, he's been really good this year, particularly for a rookie. But I think just in general, he's been pretty good. Um, offensively, it doesn't look great in, in the whole game at six of, six, six of 16 from the floor, but made four threes. That's a that's a big positive. He's got to make shots, and he, and he did in this game. Made all four of his free throws as well. And uh, if you want to find one positive from this game, it's probably Cam Reddish. 
The rest of the starting lineup was not particularly great. Goodwin was okay. His numbers did not look good because he shot one at eight from three. That's not great. But, you know, as sort of all court stuff, eight points, four rebounds, three assists, and two steals for Brandon. I thought he was okay. Uh, Kevin Herter was not great in the second half. I thought he was okay in the first half. One of the few guys that was okay in the first half. But eight points, five assists, five rebounds. Didn't have much going on, though, after halftime. And uh, he was not alone in that, but certainly worth pointing out. DeAndre Hunter only played 17 minutes. I wonder if it was because he was bad, because he was. Um, two points. One rebound, one assist for DeAndre. He's been just kind of floating. Not a lot of positive stuff to say about Hunter recently. I'm certainly a positive guy on Hunter in general, but the last couple of weeks have been pretty concerning. He's kind of just been floating out there pretty anonymously and in a bad way on both ends of the floor. So, um, yeah, we'll come back to that at a later date, I'm sure. But uh, two points, one of five from the floor. Just didn't do too much and didn't play too much. So something to circle back on in the future. And then John Collins struggled for him in this game. Eight points, two of 11 from the floor for John. That's pretty brutal. 0 of 5 from three. In fact, since, since he came back from the suspension, he's 10 of 38 from three, which is about 26%. That is a very small sample size, but he doesn't look comfortable right now, at least as comfortable as he was before the season, be, um, before the suspension began as a shooter. So it's, uh, something to put a pin in as well. Did, did have two block shots and three three assists to go along with his five rebounds and eight points, but not the greatest John Collins performance either. Um, you know, as you might expect in a 22 point loss, that was as many as 39 in the second half. Um, not a whole lot of positive individual performances. I'm trying to see the positive in some respects, but there you go. Um, to the future, before we get out of here on this fine Sunday into Monday, the Hawks play host to the Phoenix Suns on Tuesday. After a day off on Monday, we will see how they perform in that spot. That's a winnable game on paper if Trey Young plays, but the Hawks are still 8-32 and on the season. That's as bad as it gets in the NBA right now and uh, almost halfway. In fact, Tuesday is the halfway point. After the game on Tuesday night, the Hawks will play 41 games, and uh, you, you can do the math on the projections. Even if they win, they'll be, they'll be uh, you know, 9-32, and 32. Not, not what you want in the first 41 games, but we'll come back to that more in the future as well. So please subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate everybody being, uh, I guess, flexible on the recording schedule. But as I, as I said before, a lot of people were okay with me not doing a podcast after Friday, and I'm sure people won't be thrilled about talking about this game on Sunday either. But alas, we are here. Please tell a friend about the podcast. Please leave five-star feedback about the show if you enjoy the program, and we will see everybody at the very, very latest after the game on Tuesday.